Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible. I am Bruce Feldman, joined as always by Stuart Mandel. It was another wild weekend in college football. Stu, I know you were down at Clemson. Have you crossed back into the uh, into the West Coast time zone yet? You know, technically my body never really left it because uh, it was such a late night on Saturday night. But, you know, first trip to Clemson, as advertised, Death Valley lived up to the hype, and then some. Such a loud stadium, such a great atmosphere Saturday night. And then if you're going to travel cross-country for a game, you can only hope that it's as memorable as that one. Yeah. Uh, you know what? The drama, you know, we've all seen it before with the bus ride and everything, and I thought ESPN does a really good job. Um, I don't say hyping that element of the game, but just showcasing it is probably the best way to put it. And it gets you charged up, and, you know, the crowd shots were pretty awesome. Uh, I thought the game certainly, you know, lived up to the expectations. Uh, anything surprise you about the whole day and the whole game? A couple of things. I wouldn't have guessed that Clemson would have as much success as they did shutting down Lamar Jackson in the first half. But I also wouldn't have guessed that he would then come back and have such a great second half that, you know, I haven't looked at your Heisman top five. I don't know if you've looked at mine, but he, Lamar Jackson's still number one. He lost the game. His team didn't win the game. He came up short on the game-winning drive, but I came away from that game feeling like he only validated that he's the best player in the country. Yeah, I'm with you. I, I you know, I tweeted this out Saturday night. It just kind of sunk in. I can't remember the last time my top Heisman guy, especially this early in the year, lost a game and was still not just my number one guy, but I couldn't see having anybody else above him like there was a gap between him and my number two guy you agree with that yeah there was a considerable gap because Christian McCaffrey was my number two guy before and that's a different kind of thing when you not only your team not only loses but you get shut down then you're going to drop down the Heisman list but in this case Lamar Jackson did just about everything he could you know credit to uh, Carlos Watkins from Clemson for a big tip on third down that set up Clemson's game-winning drive and you know just as unusual as it is like we just said, for the losing quarterback to stay number one. It's also unusual for the winning quarterback who came into the season as the Heisman front runner or a Heisman front runner who threw five touchdowns to not lap him. But of the two quarterbacks on the field Saturday night, um, Jackson was more impressive. Yeah, so where, where are you with Deshaun Watson right now? I'm, I'm not sure what to do with Deshaun Watson. I watched with my own eyes as he drove them down the field 75 yards. Um, you know, that's all you could ask for in a quarterback in the clutch. But I also watched him throw three interceptions. And the other thing that seems a little bit off that wasn't the case last year, Clemson likes to take shots downfield. They must have seen something uh, from Louisville's corners. I know Shaq Wiggins wasn't playing. Maybe that's why. And the timing just wasn't quite there most of the time. He Most of his success was, you know, like the game-winning touchdown pass was a catch and run. Um, most of his throws deep downfield – 
he was overthrowing the guys. Yeah, I, I felt like it wasn't a bad performance by any stretch. Obviously, they won, and I give credit to the Clemson staff. They really designed the play really well. It's interesting. I have not looked at your Heisman top five, and as I said, I have a big gap between Lamar Jackson and everybody else. Right now, I have JT Barrett number two, Greg Ward number three. That easily could have been reversed. Uh, I have usually have used my four and five spots on this. You know, my Heisman top five is kind of ways to – to spotlight guys who maybe don't get enough attention or I feel like deserve kind of a, a little bit of a shot of publicity. Derek Barnett, for the second week in a row, the Tennessee defensive lineman, is in my top five. He's number four. Uh, huge, huge game again. I think he means a lot to him. But I, I've thrown in Mitch Trubisky, the quarterback from North Carolina. They snapped FSU's 22-game home win streak. By the way, 13 touchdowns, zero picks. He's completing almost 80% of his passes. And he's a pretty good runner, too, on top of that. I think it's time to give him some love. But that came at the expense of Deshaun Watson and Christian McCaffrey. Uh, Let's start with McCaffrey first. uh, Well, first of all, I just got to say, people aren't going to believe that we didn't share a brain on this one because they're almost... They're they're very very similar. I also you have, have Derek Barnett in your top five. No, too? that's the difference. I have Barrett, uh, JT Barrett number two, Greg Ward Jr. number three. I kept McCaffrey in there at number four despite the bad game the other night, just because I still think he's one of the five best players. We'll see if that lasts. And I also added Mitch Trubisky to the list. It's funny. I tweeted out his stats right after the UNC game, which are unbelievable stats, um, and said, and, and by the way, seventy six percent completions. That's number one nationally. 1,711 yards, 13 touchdowns, zero INTs. And there were still people saying, yeah, right, Mitch Trubisky for Heisman. Um, is it because his name's Mitch? What, what, why, why are people uh, <laughs> slow to get on this bandwagon? I think it's because he's at North Carolina right now. And they, if, if Florida State hadn't lost by 43 points to Louisville earlier in the year, I think this would have carried more weight. I give him a ton of credit, though, the fact that uh, – I think what's happened is he has exploited defenses that have already been exposed. Right. You know, he lit up Pitt. You know, Pat Narduzzi is a terrific defensive coach. And even though he's not the defensive coordinator at Pitt, he's still the head coach. But we had just seen Oklahoma State light them up, too. So I think there was some of that. And we'll see how much, you know, momentum. He's going to get Virginia Tech this weekend. And they're very good on – they're very still very good on defense with Bud Foster. I'm not sure, you know, if he ha- if he gets to the point where he's like a little like I remember Geno Smith. I want to say it was 20 touchdowns, zero picks at one point. You know, if he gets it to that level, and he didn't throw any picks last year, he you know played I think in six games, six touchdowns, zero picks. And when I talked to Larry Fedora, the UNC coach, about him on Sunday, he was like, you know, of all the really good quarterbacks he's been around, he said he has he takes almost the best thing from each guy. You know, really good arm moves very well, makes great decisions, very smart, extremely competitive. You know, you had Austin Davis who, at Southern Miss, who he thinks Austin Davis is a will be playing the NFL for 10 years. He's like, Austin Davis didn't have this kind of arm, but he did have the same tremendous will to win. You know, he said Marquise Williams, who was a really good athlete, he said Mitch Trubisky is an even better athlete, even faster. Uh, he wasn't sure if he had quite the level of arm that Rex Grossman had, but he said he has a real, really good arm, and he said he has the composure and the level-headedness and the poise of Chris Leak, who we had at Florida. So there's a lot to like, and we'll see what, what UNC can do, obviously, now if they can go on some kind of roll, how much the hype train will pick up. So somebody responded to my having Trubisky in there and Deshaun Watson not and said, are you telling me 
if you could pick one guy to be your quarterback in the ACC championship game, you're taking Trubisky and not Watson? No, that's not necessarily my answer yet, but you got to reward the guys for what they've actually done on the field. And right now, uh, Trubisky is number six in the country in pass efficiency. Deshaun Watson is 61st. And what's really puzzling is if you look at, compare Watson this year to Watson 2015, his completion percentage has dropped from 67.8 to 60.8. Last year, 35 touchdowns, 13 picks right now, 14 touchdowns, 7 picks. Um, and I say all this, and yet that was a huge win for Clemson, and it 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 didn't make me um, want to dismiss Clemson as a team in any way. I know you never you never uh, veered off that bandwagon. I know I did. Um, I fully expect this team to turn around and and win the ACC because they now have basically a two game lead over Louisville because of the tiebreaker. I don't believe NC State will be. You know, I think they're one and zero right now. I don't think they're going to be in the picture at the end. So, I mean, Clemson put itself in great position to make the college football playoff the other night. I suppose they could turn around and have a letdown in one of these ACC games. Whereas I fully expect Louisville to go out and just roll the next five teams they play. And then the big difference between the two, Louisville has another showcase game awaiting later in the season against Houston, which is why I think two. Both of them making the playoff is a, still a very realistic scenario. Yeah, I agree wholeheartedly for all, all the reasons you just said. What percent chance do you give Louisville of making the playoff as the second team in? Um, 20? You have to specify. Is the first team Clemson? Because if it's Clemson, yes, goes I to think the, it's going to be Clemson. If Clemson I, goes to the championship game and loses to UNC, then then that would probably— That, that upsets yeah. the apple card. Then. Right. Um, yeah, I give them about a 20 25% chance. I mean, if you look at it right now, though, I mean, first of all, Louisville could knock out one of its prime competitors if it beats yeah. Houston. I'm basically ready to say I don't see a Big 12 team being in the playoff. But who are you knocking? If you want to get Louisville in there, who are you knocking out out of, out of the SEC champ? And we'll just say that's Alabama. The Big 10 champ being Ohio State. Uh, and then you get Clemson as third. And then Washington, after what they did the other night, doesn't strike me as a team that, well— They'll end up being the two-loss Pac-12 champ. That's not what I saw the other night. Let's say hypothetically, the team is undefeated and then loses in the conference title game. You think that Louisville would go ahead of a conference champ? That's a great question. Um, I think you'd, at that point you have to start comparing resumes. And, and by the way, the idea that Louisville would make it is based in large part on everybody watched this game and everybody will remember that they were toe-to-toe with Clemson. In Everybody's going to watch Houston, too, when they play them on a Thursday night. But I'll tell you what would really hurt Louisville and Clemson, for that matter, is if Florida State is just going to turn out to be a train wreck this season and doesn't get their act together. It's not going to hurt Clemson, Stu. As long as Clemson wins, I mean, I, I'm saying it would hurt them if they were in any doubt. But obviously, if they run the table, they're not going to be in any doubt. Because if you look at the next five games, Duke, NC State, Virginia, BC, Wake. As long as Lamar Jackson is upright, they are going to plaster those five teams. And then they play Houston and they finish with Kentucky. So that's the good news. The bad news is you're going to get to the end of the season and go, well, wait a minute. How many top 25 type teams did they actually beat? And so that's where Florida State needs to get its act together so that they're at least one of them. And then Louisville would be the other. And I don't know that there would be a third. And so... To answer your question before, if you're putting that up against I don't know, Ohio State runs the table but loses in the Big Ten title game, 
I would assume Ohio State will have beaten more top 25 type teams by that point. Yes, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think they're in good shape if there's a two-loss champ out of one of them. Oh, absolutely, three, absolutely. But, but you need two of them. You need the Big 12 and you need another one. I don't think they need a Big 12. If West Virginia or Baylor goes 11-1, and one, I think Louisville still could be ahead of them. Because remember, there's no 13th game for them. Yeah, we were talking the other night. Do you think undefeated Baylor could get left out? Who would no. they have beaten in the entire course of the 12 games? There will be some Big 12 teams that will find their way into the back end of the top 25. Crazy as it sounds, the Big 12's best playoff, well, it would be West Virginia if West Virginia went undefeated. But other than that, I think it might be if Oklahoma wins out. No, that's not happening. I'm not saying Oklahoma's not winning out. Oklahoma wins out, they're not making the playoff. I, I'm almost certain of it. Well, there'd have to be a lot of carnage elsewhere. Yeah. Remember, everybody at this point in the season thinks everybody's going to go undefeated. And inevitably, people are going to get upset. Oklahoma would need, I think, some three-loss conference champs out there. Uh, whew, that's going pretty far down the rabbit hole. I don't know about that. Well, who are they going to beat that's going to make you go, wow, Oklahoma's— I mean, they lost handily at home to Ohio State, and they lost by double digits to Houston. No, I'm going with the—I'm <laughs> going with the, well, you know, if you get to the end of the season, those two teams are both ranked very— well, a lot of people would have lost to those teams. No, look— if you had to ask, guess right now what chance the Big 12 has of any team being in the playoff, it's like 5%. It's it's that low already. You need fact, West Virginia or Baylor. I think that's right now it. I don't think a one-loss Big 12 we're like we're, have much of a shot. If, correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't we about only about two weeks removed from everybody saying, well, maybe Texas could do it? And now Texas's coach is you know, on the hottest seat of anybody in the country right now, now that Les Miles is fired, which happened so fast— like Charlie Strong went from from being carried off the field at Notre Dame to another you know public execution seemingly overnight. Yeah, I mean, look, that seems like so long ago. A couple of things on this. So we had reported on Sunday night with a bunch of other people that Charlie Strong was going to take over the defense. That is now official. That has happened. Uh, from talking to somebody within UT, you know, our conversation on Sunday was this that. Charlie Strong probably would have been okay going seven and five this year, but now that dynamic has changed. He he needs probably nine wins, and that might not even be enough. So I said to this person, "Well, what's changed?" He said, "Well, LSU changed. LSU changed because Tom Herman's out there, and that's something that if they lose to Oklahoma, he's in serious trouble." Then I think now if they beat Oklahoma, from what I was told. You know, winning is going to solve a lot of things and people will will be a little reassured. Keep in mind, and I'm not saying that, you know, he was wrong to pull the plug on Vance Bedford running the defense, but the three teams that they've gotten shelled by in these, you know, deep in the first four, one quarterback was Deshaun Kaiser, another quarterback was Davis Webb, another quarterback was Mason Rudolph. Those are probably three of the seven or eight best pro prospects at quarterback in the country that they've faced. Well, but then do you turn around and if they lose this week and fall to two and three and say, oh, but it was Baker Mayfield, you know, Heisman top five last year. I think it's not just losing. I think it's like if they give up 45 or 50, there's little detail things that right now are struggling with Charlie Strong. Now, you know, I'll go into this a little more is whoever is coaching this team in 2017, whether it's Charlie Strong or Tom Herman or whoever else, is going to inherit a really good situation because you have players that will have come of age, a lot of talent, a bunch of depth, and they should be top 10 caliber. This is the big thing. If Charlie Strong can get through this year, 
I don't think this job is going to come open for a long time because it's just getting through this year. That's my. I agree. And, and so when you looked at it before the season, and, and we talked about this many times, I really felt like this would be that gateway kind of year where they go eight and four, which would be a they still can big enough improvement. Yes, they still can big enough improvement to make people think, yeah, they're going to be really good next year. The problem is well, twofold. One, for all the. I mean, really, coming into the season was all about, is he going to be able to fix the offense? Is he going to be able to fix the offense? And it seems like he did, and now the defense is a train wreck. And so now, twice in two years, you demote one of your coordinators. That does not inspire confidence. That does not make people think, oh, yes, we've got the right head coach. It instead makes people think that he's desperate. And two, this is not good right now to have people, you know, reports out there about, oh, is he going to get fired in the mid- in the middle of the season or the end of the season? And... I saw Red McCombs was weighing in and and did not say he should be fired, but said that, you know, it's stupid to think we couldn't fire a coach in the middle of the season. Uh, there's just so much noise. Now, if he beats Oklahoma this week, much like last year, everybody will quiet off for a while. But it's not like then he's completely off the hook. Uh, I do think they need to get rolling. And the good news is there's nobody you look at the rest of the way in the Big 12 and say, oh, they're not going to win that game. They could, they could beat all of those teams. Um, they've certainly got the talent to do it. If, for whatever reason, this Charlie Strong taking over the defensive play calling is the is the magic answer. I do think it's puzzling why uh, such a great defensive coach is having, is still, you know, it was one thing to blame it on the Mac Brown recruits early on, but at this point in year three, they should be a better defense. They're one of the worst pass defenses in the country. Yeah, they've given up a lot more big plays actually this year than they even did last year. But I think, again, this is a function of they're still very young. And, and again, you know, by the way, the Cal team that, you know, people were ripping, they just beat Utah. They're not bad. No, these uh, aren't bad teams that they're giving up the points to. I mean, Notre Dame is, but they won that game. I, frankly, I kind of figured they would lose either this is at what Cal we or at Oklahoma State. Right? Yeah. I figured they'd be at best three and one at this point in the season, three and two after the Oklahoma game. So if they beat Oklahoma, they'll be right about where I thought they were. And then you could see them getting on a roll when they play Iowa State, Kansas State. I don't think they're going to beat Oklahoma. They're really banged up. You know, their backfield is really banged up. You know, I think that they they'll be they'll be very competitive. But I think Oklahoma will win the game. By the way, I don't see Baker Mayfield going zero and three in his career against team, against University of Texas. He will find a way, I think, to beat this team. But if they're two and three, I still think Charlie Strong can can keep his job. Now it'll be much harder. I, I think it becomes close to impossible, not because they can't turn around and win the games, but because the criticism and the noise just becomes so deafening. Kind of like Les Miles' situation, to be honest, where it's just really hard to. Everybody's just waiting for you to fail at that point. Not that, and I think that's a big difference. Coming off the Notre Dame game, you could feel people finally fully embracing this guy and rooting for him to succeed and it seems like all it took was two losses for a lot of people to be ready to run him off because the golden boy tom herman is possibly waiting uh as the light at the end of the tunnel which i think is the case you know i do think that's the the scenario um so if you're a texas fan right now you there's a i don't know we how many do you think are just now rooting for them to start losing more so that they can get them. Of course, it's not a guarantee you would get them. I think it's a guarantee you'd get them, or close to a guarantee you'd get them. 
You want to say that again for everybody? I think to it's hear? close to a guarantee. If Charlie Strong is not the head coach, that that Texas will go get Tom Herman. Well, LSU fans aren't going to want to hear that. Sorry, LSU. Your job isn't quite as good as Texas. You have a great job. It's just not the same as Texas. Tom Herman had coached at Texas before. Uh, now, look, there he would go into uncertainty, but he would go into some uncertainty for the administration if he was being hired by Joe Oliva or whoever else is going to make that hire at LSU. I think it would have it would be very hard to turn down just because of the fact that you have everything at your disposal and like you said you would you would be inheriting a team much like he did at Houston where you could win big right away. But now let's talk about the possible biggest derby sweepstakes for a coaching candidate you'll ever see if USC fires Helton and Helton did uh, have a heck of a game the other night against Arizona State, but now what if it's a three-team race between LSU, USC and Texas? I think Texas has has the inside track on that. I Even do. Even though he's a SoCal native, he is. But again, again, all three ha- would have shaky administrative support. Now, if Oliver Luck, as I've heard, you know, possibly ends up back at Texas to run the thing. That gives Texas even more leverage, I think, and more stability and credibility. Uh, right. So you think that's something that's imminent? Oliver Luck coming, imminent? No, the NCAA? I don't think it's imminent, but I, I, I feel like that's a strong possibility. So here's how crazy college football is. A week ago, LSU fires Les Miles, and okay, they're going to go get either Tom Herman or Jimbo Fisher. I don't well, think it's. I don't think it was an either or there. I still think there was a chance for some other stuff to un- unfold there. Okay, but I'm saying if Tom Herman ends up taking another job, and Jimbo Fisher, is he going to lose a little bit of luster if the te- if this season continues to be the train wreck that it is, or it could have the opposite effect where he says, "Okay, that's my cue to get out of here before people start getting restless here." You know, I will add to this, by the way. If Texas comes open, I think they will make some heavyweight guys say no. I, I he will say no, but I think they will they will call the six one four area code and get him to say no. Well, they tried saving last time; they might as well try again. Uh, you know, I don't know on that. I could see them. You know, you know who knows how hot David Shaw's name will be. I still think he, you know, if he, lo- he goes eight and five, he's still going to be a hot name. And I don't. Why? Think why? If if Tom Herman's ultimately the the realistic goal, why make him feel like he's the fourth choice? I don't think he is going to be the fourth choice, but I think those are the discussions that that people at Texas are going to have. Fair enough. But so here here's what I was kind of hinting at: if neither Herman or Fisher ends up coming to LSU. And Coach O, who just broke the school in his very first game there as the interim head coach, LSU goes out and gets 634 yards of offense against Mizzou. The offense is fixed. It got fixed overnight. And they get on a roll. Are we talking Coach O as the head coach at LSU next year? If they really get on a roll, and that would have to include beating Alabama, I think it'll be get very interesting in there. Because he made a lot of changes and improvement from his time at Ole Miss to USC. He's also, I think, learned from his time at USC. And this is a place he grew up around. And I think he's he's made some very smart moves internally already. The question is going to be, if, if he beats, you know, some of the other things, it wasn't just the yardage. It was doing some different things. It was becoming more of a spread offense. It was changing some of the practice uh, tempo and some of the different things he's done that I think, 
bode well. Now, again, if they beat Alabama, I would not rule him out. I know people go, oh, he has no chance. If he beats Alabama, he has a he would have a pretty decent chance. Yeah, if he beats Alabama, there would be a strong push, especially if they run the table for then, to give him the job the next day. There's no question about it. Yeah, and that – I mean – He's with each win. Now they, they Mizzou is, is a mediocre team. If they beat Florida, this is a banged up Florida team on the road in the swamp. That'll be another step. I don't think, you know, I'm actually I'm planning on going down there the week they play Ole Miss, which will be kind of surreal for me to see him. Given you know the two years I spent around him for Meat Market, um, if he beats Ole Miss, then and then all of a sudden, that's when I think things would start to get very interesting. You know, right now, I think the the more likely second-tier candidates, if it's not Tom Herman and if Jimbo Fisher's not interested, I think it's probably Larry Fedora from UNC. I think maybe Mike Gundy. I'm not sure if they really would want Mike Gundy, but I could see him thinking time's right to move on from Oklahoma State. I think that's those are possibilities. But, again, don't rule out the power of – what goes on, you know, if he gets on a roll now? Well, it's inevitable, but kind of a shame that the coaching carousel ends up uh, overshadowing the actual games on the field at some point. Because again, we talked Clemson, Louisville, but there were some other great games and some some fantastic uh, performances. I wanted to talk about Washington because, hey, nobody was aboard the Washington bandwagon quicker than the two of us, and you in particular went all in. I think you you said on this podcast in April that they were going to win the Pac-12. Um, they made a pretty strong statement that, that they're able to do that and not just beat Stanford. If they'd beaten Stanford 20 to 19, you'd say, okay, good win, good win, you know, good start to the conference season for them. But to beat them 44 to 6, and in particular, eight sacks, to eight basically sacks beat too. Stanford the way Stanford has beaten other people for so many years and just bully them on the line of scrimmage was an eye-opener to say the yeah I, on uh, Sunday I talked to their defensive coordinator Kwiatkowski and he said they blitzed one time in the whole game and that play actually was nullified by a penalty so you get home eight times by the way also Stanford had a ton of penalties in the game at one point I think they had like nine for 94 yards and it was still relatively early in the game it just it did not look like Stanford at all. Um, so now, I mean, you do your uh, what do you call your your uh, New Year's six projections? Yes, your projections. Do you have Washington at thirteen and zero in your mind? No, I think they probably slip up once. I mean, remember, just the week before they needed overtime to win at Arizona, and I don't think Arizona is very good. Husky Stadium. We've talked about it before. When that place is rocking. It's one of the best home field advantages in all of college football. Uh, you know, this game was played on the 20, with the, the day they honored the uh, 91 national championship team, the 25th anniversary, which caused me to look up that team. And you forget just they would just destroy people in Seattle. And then they had some close games on the road. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if you see a lot more outcomes like that in the games at Husky Stadium. But, you know, if they're going to trip up, if you look at their schedule – uh, back-to-back road games, October 29th and November 5th at Utah and Cal. Those are definitely teams that you walk in, you know. I mean, you saw Cal actually play some defense the other day and beat Utah at home. It's not exactly a 
great home field advantage, but you are going away from Seattle and playing Davis Webb. And then, you know, Utah is a tough place to play, I think. No, I don't. I actually don't see them running the table, but I definitely see them winning the Pac-12. And right now, I would certainly have them as one of my four playoff teams. Okay, I can I can buy that because we've just talked all about the defense, and it was, I mean, no question, star of the show. But we, what about Jake Browning? You know, he definitely almost cracked my high school. I was five. just going to ask you that. Yeah, I mean, anytime, um, and I, I don't want out this particular coach who told me this a while back when he was getting recruited. This was a guy who's been around Kellen Moore a bunch. Said. Jake Browning is like a bigger Kellen Moore. And that's, a, that's about as high a compliment I think you can pay a college quarterback. Um, and the reason why I think Jake Browning didn't get more hype, part of it I think is because he's in the same class as Josh Rosen, and Josh Rosen's physical tools have driven a lot of the hype, you know, and, and some of it away. Also, some of it was Jake Browning was one of these rare high school quarterbacks who didn't spend a ton of time doing the quarterback circuit where he was like going to all these Nike camps and Elite 11. He was doing basically stuff. He's from this powerhouse program um, in Folsom, California. Jonah Williams, one of the best young linemen in the country, who's over at Alabama, same program. And he was more tied into that. And so I think now the country is starting a little bit to find out about how good Jake Browning is. And I eagerly await, Stu, I have a feeling you're going to have him in your top five before long. I think it's also interesting to think back now to three years ago, and, and this was definitely coming up on Twitter during the game. Oh, God, USC I know where you're going. I know where you're going with this. USC had a coaching opening, and Chris Peterson came, interviewed for the job. Pat Hayden decided not to hire him, but in fact to hire Sark. Chris Peterson goes and replaces Sark at Washington, and I think Washington fans universally felt at the time that they had upgraded, and they certainly did, and then... You know, Sark is no longer USC's. USC is still searching for the next coach. I think it worked out very well for Chris Peterson because he was able to very under the radar, very quietly reshape that roster to the way he wanted, go through a couple of rough seasons, and now come out the other end as a as a juggernaut. Whereas at a school like USC or what Charlie Strong is going through at Texas, they expect you to roll from day one. And so what I'm saying is, if he had taken the USC job and gone through the same trajectory first two seasons at Washington, I mean, he would be feeling heat coming into the season as opposed to watch out, watch out for these guys. They could be really good. And guess what they are? Yeah, that's a good point. I think uh, the other night, and I don't know how it popped up. I think it was like the old takes exposed, but I had a tweet from 2013. It was right before Washington was going to hire uh, Chris Peterson was about Pat Hayden and, and USC's kind of trepidation on him was, and, and I, Chris Peterson would admit this to anybody. You know, he is not going to be Mr. All Access when it comes to, to dealing with the media. And USC traditionally has always been that way. And so being the front-facing guy, I think there was some, some concerns about what USC wanted, the expectations, and just how good a fit it was. Like, that's not uh, spinning. That's the reality of what it is. With hindsight, it seems that given, given Pat Hayden's hiring record that just the fact that Sark came from USC and Pete Carroll Tree carried more weight, apparently, than Chris Peterson's amazing run at Boise State. And, and look, I get that there were probably people then, I know there were people then who felt, well, look at Dan Hawkins. You know, what's to say that the, what worked at Boise for this guy is going to work at a major conference? And so, again, I think he ended up finding the perfect job for him, where he could be him, 
you know, Seattle is obviously a big media market, but it's not necessarily the intensity of L.A. or certainly Austin, Texas, and and the national scrutiny of that job. And uh, we'll, we'll see where it goes from here. But it worked out great for everybody, other than Pat Hayden. Yeah, exactly. This is. I mean, this has been a long time since Washington football was this relevant. Obviously, they went to the Rose Bowl under Neuheisel. Um, I don't – I'm trying to think back. Yeah, that team entered the BCS title conversation. In fact, their fans felt they should have been ahead – you know, Miami felt they should have been ahead of Florida State, and Washington felt they should have been ahead of Miami that year in the head-to-head-to-head um, scenario. But really, the way that stadium was rocking the other night, uh, I saw that it was the second-highest – Local TV rating for a Washington game ever, um, you know, or however long they've been tracking that. You know, it's 91, man. It's 91 all over again. Break out your flannel and your Nirvana records. It's 91 all over again. So are you yeah. ready to say that the Miami, who is now creeped back in the top 10 and, and gets Florida State this week? That they're going to share the national title? Is that where you're going, Steve? No, but if you know, if you look around, and I can't take credit for this. Others have already pointed it out. Colorado is in the top 25. Nebraska is undefeated. It, it, there are parts of this poll that look very much like the Where 90s. were you in 1990, still? 1990, I would have been in starting high school. Uh, it was, 1990 was a great year to be a, a Cincinnati sports fan. The Reds swept the Oakland A's in the World Series that year, as you may recall. Xavier with Tyrone Hill went to the Sweet 16. What um, does our friend Pete Rose think of the high school you went to? What's he affectionately call? <laughs> And I went to Sycamore High School, not exactly an athletic powerhouse. And what does he call it? I can't say that on the podcast. Oh, come on. It's a podcast. You can say it. No. And we, we have also have a, a female editor of this podcast now. But let's just say he used a not appropriate word to describe the kind of people that go to my high school. <laughs> <laughs> and it was awesome. Um, we haven't even gotten to the craziest ending of any game on Saturday, Tennessee, Georgia. Dueling Hail Marys, if you will. I guess Jacob Eason's wasn't necessarily a Hail Mary, but uh, they do it again. The Vols and the theme of my Monday morning column, are they that good or are they that lucky or both? Because it's been one crazy run of good fortune for Tennessee this year to be 5-0. and And now they play back-to-back top 10 teams in Texas A&M and Alabama. And are they good enough to beat those teams? Or do they need another four fumble recoveries that happen to go their way or Hail Mary or something to, you know, Josh Dobbs fumbles into the end zone against App State, but one of his own players recovers it. The kind of crazy uh, 2013 Auburn-esque moments that they're having. I think it's a little, I think it's a lot of the latter, to be honest. You know, I made a, I wasn't joking when I said this, but I feel like if you're a Tennessee fan, after all the crap you've kind of endured from the end of the Phil Fulmer to the, craziness of the year with Lane Kiffin to the absolute disaster that was Derek Dooley to the first couple of years of Butch Jones, which has been, you know, a lot of, I don't say cliche building, but it was just like, Hey, that hadn't beaten anybody really that good. So people will go, Oh yeah, I'm definitely on board with this, but they were, you know, trying to be optimistic, but waiting what's coming around the corner. And then to have these two wins back to back, uh, I think the, the, karma is starting to turn the other way and when you get you know the power of belief is is pretty big especially when it relates to college football because you're dealing with 18 and 19 year olds i'm not saying they're going to win these next two games i would not be shocked if they if they beat a&m though i, I mean i i am going to pick a&m because i think right now they're they're more physical 
But it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, I kind of like the opposite scenario, big. right? History says Alabama will lose an SEC game at some point. You think it's going to be to Tennessee? Didn't we just go through this last week where we looked at the next four for Alabama and said which one's most likely? And I said yeah. Tennessee followed by actually so you this think week at Tennessee Arkansas. Tennessee loses at A&M and then comes back to beat Alabama? I know Tennessee fans would take yeah, that. Yeah, I would like to wait until after the A&M game to make any predictions for the Alabama-Tennessee Come game. Come on, but, Stu. But you couldn't see that. I mean, Neyland is going to be so rocking for that. Tennessee-Florida was the first rival they needed to get out from under. You know, I don't think even people outside the SEC. They almost beat them last year in Tuscaloosa. It was a close game. I don't know if they almost beat them. No, it was it was right down to the end. They almost beat them. It was 19-14. Yeah. People of a certain age, of a younger age, might not even realize that the Alabama-Tennessee rivalry used to be Iron Bowl-esque. Um, it's just been so long since they were both good at the same time. So, yeah, it could be rocking there. Mm-hmm. I'm with you on it. Hey, quickly, um, let me throw a curveball at you. I think it's a curveball. What are your expectations of where Oregon is headed after getting run over by Wazoo? Man, things are bad there. They really are. But if you're asking me, do I think they're going to fire Mark Helfrich? The answer is no. I don't think so either. I think unless they go four and three and nine, I don't think so. And I'm not even sure if they would do it for one bad year. Remember, he's won. Uh, I think he's won 33 games in his first three years. I understand why people are losing faith. Uh, it's it, Frankly, it's kind of what I always feared might happen, maybe not to this extreme. For whoever replaced Chip Kelly, he set the bar so high, they were not going to continue to win 12 games every year. And so he goes, and, and if anything, Helfrich may have reinforced that by going to the national title game his first year with Mariota. At that point, you're feeling like Oregon's just going to keep rolling forever. And obviously he took a step back last year, but this year is just embarrassing. And then... You know, frankly, I kind of predicted something to this effect because we knew that Dakota Prukoff was not Vernon Adams, and he was yet they were counting on him to be um, the answer at quarterback. And then Brady Hoke is not the magic solution to this defense because they're just so bad. Yeah, they they just don't have a lot of players on defense. I mean, they were awful on defense last year, and that was with the best defensive lineman in the whole Pac-12 and the best probably defensive player in the conference. And now that guy's you know DeForest Buckner moves on. They're still very they're still dreadful on defense if washington state had come out and done what washington state usually does and throw the ball around and that's how they got to 51 this is a little different washington state i don't know if you watched i'm gonna throw a stat at you you're gonna go holy shit and you may curse seriously get this washington state actually is ranked ahead in rushing of stanford holy shit there we go you're telling me Washington State is averaging more rushing yards per game than the team with Christian McCaffrey? Yep. Not only that, they're averaging a full yard per carry more. So they're not only averaging more as a team, they're also averaging a full yard per carry more than Stanford. That doesn't speak well for Stanford. Um, you know, and that's something we should mention. Whenever there's a really lopsided result like Washington Stanford, I mean, I still think Washington deserves an insane amount of credit. It usually means that something's not quite right on the other side of that equation. You know, we'll see. I mean, in the past, and it's been pointed out here in the last couple of days, they've done a pretty good job of bouncing back, but they haven't been completely humiliated like that. And I just don't think that was a one-time thing. Now, I will say, David Shaw, the plan coming to the season, according to him, was that you were going to see a lot more of Bryce Love. And then Bryce Love got hurt before the season. I think he had one carry the other night against Washington. Uh, they're not doing anything to take... I mean, Christian McCaffrey is their whole team, basically, on offense right now, and he needs help. But uh, in terms of Washington State, 
Yeah, I mean, they ran for almost 300 yards on Oregon, and that's just got to be so uh, infuriating for Oregon fans. I think it could get pretty bad this season. I actually looked up Helfrich's contract a couple weeks ago because of a mailbag question because people were already uh, trying to run him out. You know that we've talked about Kirk Ferentz's strange contract, which... <laughs> In reality, no most contracts are kind of strange, but you'll get stuff that's kind of unique to each. Here is the deal with Helfrich's. It's fully guaranteed unless they only win five games in back-to-back seasons, at which point his buyout is cut in half. Okay. So, no, I don't think they're firing him after this year, but, you know, you wonder how, do you, how does he get out from under this? How does he restore confidence that he's the right guy to lead the team, lead the program, when he's not Chip Kelly, but not many people are. He had yeah. one of the best four-year runs, in, and I can't believe it was only four years, of a college coach that you'll ever see. By the way, though, for people ripping Helfrich that he can't recruit a quarterback, he was the one who found Marcus Mariota when nobody was recruiting Marcus Mariota. So, And he had a big role in his development. I mean, yes, they've missed guys. I don't know if uh, the freshman who's now the number two guy, I know they like him. Maybe he is the guy um, down the road. We'll see. If but, you're uh, looking at the Pac-12 right now, Mm-hmm. And let's say what I just suggested earlier is the case. Stanford's got issues, and they're going to maybe lose a few games this year. Who on earth, other than Washington, do you think, oh, yeah, they're going to go on and have a great season? You know, I don't – I mean, right now you can make a strong case that Colorado's the best team in the Pac-12 South. That's crazy. Well, so. they are the only Pac-12 South team in the top 25. Yeah, I mean, what could get interesting is, first of all, give some credit to Cal. They only had 49 snaps on offense the other day, and their defense found a way to make a stop near the goal line. I thought that was big. Um, I'm big on the Davis-Webb bandwagon, and their young receivers are coming on. I'm not saying they're going to be a top 15 team, but I think they're dangerous, especially if the defense can play like it did the other night. Um, Watch out for Washington State. I think they're starting to figure some stuff out. I know they lost to a one double a team at the start of the year but they did they did that last year and they won nine games you know if 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 luke fox stays healthy i think they're a team that's pretty dangerous and i could see them back in the top 25 and they have to by the way last year wazoo got drilled at washington but that was without luke fox this year it's in pullman again i think i think washington's still the class of the pac-12 but i think there's some teams out there that have like a puncher's chance against them I could see it getting to the end of the year in the final Pac-12 standings, and Washington is 11-1 and or 12-0, and and nobody else is better than 9-3. and Yeah, I agree with that. That's yeah. what I thought the Big 12 was going to look like. I'm still not sure what the Big 12 is going to I don't think nobody's going to be in that 11-1 and or 12-0 and position other than maybe Baylor. And like I said earlier, I don't, I don't know how, how high that team would finish. Hey, I threw it out real quickly. They're in passing, but uh, how about uh, Northwestern Wildcats? Yeah, awesome. Um, <laughs> Come on, that's a more impactful result. The the team that uh, that lost to the FCS team at the beginning couldn't score a touchdown against an FCS team, puts up thirty eight at Iowa. Who I, I just think it's I don't want to say karma because that's not right. But are we really doing this? Are Gary we really Barta gives about that Northwestern for like no. Let's talk about Iowa. Let's talk about the fact that. He gives them that 10-year contract extension, and they immediately turn around and lose two games. And they're heading toward another 7-5 and five type season uh, when they were a preseason top, what were they, 12, 13, something like that? So does that devalue poor North Dakota State's win now? Is that what you're trying to do? You're undermining it? 
Uh, no, I am not trying <laughs> to undermine North Dakota State. I'm just pointing out the uh, developing storyline out of the Midwest. What were you going to say about your time at the lot? Did you see Lady oh. Gaga? Yeah, I yeah, that was different. Um, yeah, it was a very it was a fun day. All our our crew my brought my family in for the first time into the lot, and our guys couldn't be much nicer. But it's it's a fun place to be at. But the other day, I thought it was just the gamut of people because by the end of the day like literally we had uh Kristen and I had taped our Facebook live show we missed you um by the way but uh as I was walking back I'm in our avocado room and I kind of glanced up and I literally saw a woman with you know I saw butt cheeks walking down the (laughs) the aisle because of the shorts she was wearing and they were like yeah that's Lady Gaga I'm like oh okay well it's another Saturday at Fox yeah, you never know who you're going to run into. So you had Lady Gaga and Pete. And Pete. And, and you know, Strahan was in there because Strahan's usually not in there when I'm in there. Um, so it was uh, it was definitely an eventful day. Well, no Lady Gaga at Clemson, but certainly an interesting it, – it, it, I don't think I realized, um, you know, for such a big football school and a big stadium, Clemson itself is very tiny, uh, just a – just a little town, you know, you drive, you get off the highway and you go on, you know, like a, a two lane or maybe it was, I don't remember how many lanes. It was a small, you know, fairly small kind of road. And then all of a sudden you make a turn and it's just nothing but orange for miles and miles. And um, Does that feel like Auburn to you? Yes, actually it does. It does feel a little bit like Auburn. Um, although I guess what's a little different is you see that Auburn stadium coming from miles away. Like Clemson, we're just driving through, you know, past. It's very rare that you park your car and then have to turn to the police officer and say, can you point us in the direction of the stadium? Because you couldn't see it. And nothing but tr- trees and cars parked on every, any available patch of grass. Uh, it's a, just a, it's an interesting, it's a great scene. Um, the, the hill, the guys running out, the players running down the hill is uh, as advertised, if not more so. Now I know where those buses go. You know, you talked about the watching the on TV. It's just because the locker room is on the other side of the stadium. So they literally um, have to rent a bunch of buses for those guys to walk out the locker room, get on the bus, drive over to the other side of the stadium so they can run down the hill. Um, also, a bit of a unusual scene after the game. They let the fans on the field, regardless, win or lose. You know, like if you saw it on TV, you'd be like, oh, they're storming the field. No, they just do that. They open the, they open the field and everybody can come down for like a half hour after the game. It seemed kind of dangerous, and in fact, I saw two people get hurt just in my short amount of time down there. I saw a woman clearly under the influence try to jump from her seat down to the field and did not go well for her. Probably, probably going to be a concussion there. And then there, were, you know, this was long after the game. I saw you know a bunch of people milling around on the field, and of course, you know, people are have footballs and. They're, pretending to play football and somebody tried to kick a field goal and just drilled this older gentleman in the face like fell it right straight down to the field seemed a little dangerous to me and then uh, my final image would be of us walking back to the car at 2 45 a.m because Dabo Sweeney did not even start his press conference till almost one in the morning and there's just a guy and Pat Forty took a picture of it and I think he tweeted out there's just a guy passed out on the grass nobody anywhere near him with a bottled water in his hand that I assume somebody left for him for when he came to. Mm. All right. Well, I think we're going to do one more podcast later this week with your emails, correct? Of course, we always do. And you can send those emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. And as always, if you enjoy the podcast, 
Please subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. We'll see you next time. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.